0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Hello, all you freaks out there. This is Ryan, and I have my co-host in the bathroom at the moment. She will be out here shortly. Our daughter, Kimberlyn, will be joining me tonight. Angie is asleep. She asked me to wake her up. Well, I actually asked her if she wanted me to wake her up for the show, and she said yes. But I went up there, I went in there, and she did not wake up, and they did not really want to force the issue too much. So we're just going to let her sleep. And because uh, you've got to get up early for work. And there's always a chance of her not being able to go back to sleep again, which would really suck. So I'm going to let sleep. And uh, Kimmy will be joining us. Uh-huh. We've got uh, a co-host here. We've got Among Us, Dahl, in front of me. And we've got five nights at Freddy's. Uh, Freddy
0: Frasbear.
1: Freddy Frazz bear hanging out with us tonight, too. I'm not sure they're going to talk much tonight. And, and if they do, day. you know, again, the first time on the freaking awesome show is that a stuffed animal actually talks. So quite literally, you know, yeah, it's good content. So they can take a sip. Not literally, of it.
2: that'd be great content. It would be.
1: It's not on video, so no, no, no one would believe us.
2: True. True. Yeah.
1: Once we should really start have a camera facing towards, you, just in case.
2: Just at all the times, because that one time it fell
1: over for no reason. That's true. That's true. We had. We, had, we, had, we had, it, get the plushy camera. Can't even talk. We had the, the Among Us doll fall over by itself. Or, I can push it over. This is a paranormal show, so it would fit. I'm taking a sip out of my, actually, it's Angie's uh, Nickelodeon Nicktoons mug here. I'm making Sleepy Time Tea. Be I mean, asking yourself, why, Ryan, are you drinking Sleepy Time Tea if you're about to interview Lou Jolly Jolly? Well, the answer, my friends, is I get really, worked up.
2: I just I just realized the person from the sh- like right yeah. from the show I just realized that I got oh, excited. She
1: freaked me out. She she started pointing at the screen. I'm like, What I thought it doesn't you know, like I was on mute or something. No, I just Which has happened excited. I thought oh, that okay. was
2: cool.
1: Which has happened before. But I
2: didn't realize
1: <laughs> I get I get see. She gets worked up. I get worked up before my show. Nervous energy, so I'm thinking, you know what? If I if I drink this tea and just calm myself when I go to, when the show's over, I'm up, I'm up to one or two o'clock in the morning, trying to come down from, you know, the, the nervous energy. So, so drinking like an energy drink, I figured I'd drink some tea and, uh, you know, I had a nice soothing song to start the show, right? So, we've got... Can I
2: give you a heart attack real quick?
1: <laughs> I know, right? That's where I thought I was like, oh my God, what did I do?
2: Got to get that heart rate up. <laughs> what did
1: I do? So um tonight we've got Luann Jolly Jolly Jolly, from um Wailing city ghosts she's been on the show before you might know her from the curse of Lucy Borden she was on the show on discovery plus this past or this past fall like guess over but <laughs> I mean you think it came out in september uh we watched it um a few weeks ago i don't I don't think we actually finished it then. I don't think we finished it either but don't tell her that. <laughs> just probably listening to it now. We actually—I mean,
2: we—we we got really close.
1: Yeah, we got towards the end. We got to the part where well, I spoil anything, but there was some automatic writing going. Oh yeah, we got mm-hmm. past that.
2: There's one so, like whole seance.
1: So, um, but we we did enjoy what we saw, and uh, I think we just got distracted with RJ. So I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna go ahead, and I'm gonna put Luann on the on the. The phone, the line. How do you it talks to them? Maybe, maybe this sleepy time key has been spiked or something like that. You're God damn! All right. Oh, actually, Luann, if this is you on the line, can you press one? I don't put. I don't know if that's her or not. I'm put some random person on the on the. I'll give them a heart attack. Let's see here.
2: I can tell a fun story, Tyler. We're trying to figure it out. Yeah,
1: that sounds like fun.
2: <laughs> I'm, I've just been talking just on Discord with some of my friends. And, like, one of them had, like, I don't know if I was a friend, blah, blah, blah. And I was talking with them about it. And then suddenly I just get dubbed the nicest person, and they've made a fake religion around me now. And I don't know how this has happened, but now my role in the Discord is just God. And I... Wow. I don't know how this has happened to me, but it's been a hilarious Give <laughs> me about grapes at some point. <laughs> and we're just like, which grapes do you prefer? And I'm just like, um, I don't know. <laughs> That's always fun.
1: That's always a good time. And, not,
2: and I was also talking with one of my friends through the system, and I was talking with Therapy, the author. And so then I made me want to watch Vivo, so I, may, I was watching Vivo. when he came in and asked me, well, I wanted to come to the show with you, I was just watching Vevo, and I was like, "Oh yes, What the is Vevo? So, okay, is a show on Netflix that's, like, only on Netflix, but um, Lynn, uh, I'm about to put your name because I can't think of it. Uh
1: gonna...
2: Lynn Menel Miranda,
1: uh-huh.
2: um, who plays Vivo, which is this little guy right here, Okay. None of you can see, but I'm showing Ryan a picture.
1: There she is. Well, (laughs) all right. So, Vivo.
2: But it's a really cute movie. I've watched it twice now.
1: So, recommended. Can be approved. (laughs) Vivo. Check it out. It's a very cute movie, and you'll love it. If you don't, what's wrong with you? Quite literally. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. You have to check yourself before you wreck yourself. All right. (laughs) Let's go ahead and try this again, shall we? Good evening. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. How
3: are you? Can you a- hear me this time?
1: Yeah, well, no, I never put you on because I didn't know you. I know that uh, I can see a little question mark beside you, and I wasn't sure if it was uh, you or not. I was like, I'll put some random person on the, <laughs> person on the show. So uh-huh. I'm going to just wait until I see the little thing show up. So. Uh-huh. We're all good now, you know. We're, we're professional. Oh, hi you guys. Oh, we are good. How are you been? You've been a busy you've been busy.
3: Oh, always busy.
1: Man. How is uh is that your grandson that's that's having the the seizures or
3: Yeah, it is, my poor little buddy. So it's tough Not to really have doing. something like that going on. He's He's been doing well. They, they did put him on some medication, and so far it seems like it's doing its job. So keeping my fingers crossed, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I saw that the other day, I was like, man, it's got to be so scary for him and then scary for the family, too.
3: Ugh, it sure is. It's never... Easy when it's a kid, no matter who you are, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, especially when it's someone you're so close to.
3: Yeah, he's my my
1: clone and my best little buddy. So,
3: but yeah, hopefully we'll get through this.
1: I'm sure you will. You said, you know, that he's doing better now.
3: Yeah, yeah. We're we're gonna bring him to a specialist. So. Hopefully, they'll get to the bottom of it, and we'll just go from there.
1: So how have you been?
3: Oh, pretty good. Busy, busy, always cases and, you know, life. (laughs) But, yeah, it was really exciting to do uh, the Curse of Lizzy board, and um, it's, it's tough because there was just, so much to that case that I mean Mm -hmm. um, from from their standpoint to be able to put a story together that even remotely tells what happened in that week was you know a piece of work right there because you've only got you know a two hour slot and then you've got like Mm -hmm. a whole week of events going on so it's like they, they basically showed like the highlights you know you don't see a lot of the stuff that happened behind the scenes or, you know, a lot of the audio that was recorded in the house, things like that. And I mean, even just that seance, that was a very condensed version of what happened because that was horrible, miraculous, and, you know, terrifying, all wrapped up into one picture. So, um you know but i i kind of think you know what happened for all of us and the spirits at the lizzie board in bed and breakfast i think that it was something that needed to happen for a really long time and until like the connection was broken like i was always going to know that something was going on at lizzie's like from the time i set foot in the house to you know, now it's a whole different thing. Um, you know, negative entities remember things. They don't, you know, let stuff go. So yeah. I've been in the house, I've recorded that particular spirit and I knew he was there and I knew he was pretending to be Andrew Borden and I mean we're we're lucky the um the seance that you saw Um, We used a big, giant table to fit all of us at. Now, I had been at a seance at an event um, previously, like years ago, seven, eight, maybe even ten years ago, um, and it was, you know, supposedly Andrew Borden who was angry, but this table literally was like leaping up off the floor trying to bust my face. And I fought it so hard, you know, slamming back down on the table then it would leap back up and try mm-hmm. to hit me in the face. And, I mean, at the end of all of that fighting with the table, the table was in pieces on the floor. You know, mm-hmm. um things like that in that house have always been pretty intense. And, you know, maybe the entity knew like sooner or later we were going to try to boot it out of the house. I, and you know, I do actually think we were successful in getting that entity out of the house. And I think some of the spirits crossed over. We don't feel like Lizzie did, which she does like to be called Lizbeth a lot more than um, Lizzie. That's one thing that we definitely know from the investigation. But, You know, we we feel like she was kind of connected to the house because of that entity and because of that she couldn't just live at peace and, well, live live on the other side, I guess in peace over at Maplecroft like she wanted to. You know, that was her home. That was the one that she bought Mm -hmm. after the murders and lived out her life and died in that house.
1: So, do you think that um that have you gone back there? Has it is it feel more peaceful uh than it has we, in We um
3: I haven't actually been in the house since we filmed, which was last February. And between then and now the house actually has a new owner. Um but I would actually like to uh maybe we'll go and take a tour of one of these just to see if it held or not. But, you know, the thing with a public building like that, it it is still being used as a bed and breakfast. It, um, they hired an investigator to be there full time to bring people in for ghost hunts and things like that. So it is still being used in the very same way it was used before. So to me, it's a matter of time before the entity is actually just invited back into the house and takes his place back where he was and pretending to be Andrew Borden and Andrew Borden's angry and he's going to slam you with a table and (laughs) make you, you know, he, he, this particular entity has a long history of making things happen and attacking Uh people. Um, the house psychic, um, I, I don't know if you ever saw it, ghost adventures, did, uh, like one of their aftermath shows about the house psychic who was actually kind of sexually assaulted by this spirit that everyone was saying is Andrew Borden. And I'm sorry, but that was Andrew Borden. That was the entity that we kind of took on during the séance, mm-hmm. And just that, like watching that every time, it it's actually really hard for me because you guys didn't see like, the rest of it, you know, like, everyone knows Dave Schrader. He has, you know, a lot of TV experience, Has done a lot of investigation all his life, and, you know, Chris Fleming, Sam Baltrusis, everybody, I think, knows them out there in the paranormal world, and, you know, there was one night where we are trying to investigate, and this house was making it impossible for us to investigate, like, The the production company gave us a bunch of camcorders to use for the night above and beyond our own. Every single one of them out of batteries, non-functioning. So, you know, we start breaking out our own equipment, our own camcorders, you know, full Uh, batteries in them. No sooner will we start them up, they're blinking, low battery, you know, boom, the camera's out. Um, You know, I was plugging my stuff in just to be able to use the, the darn things because they just kept dying. I can't say how many times I had to replace the batteries in my recorder because, I mean, I need my recorder to run. You know, I'm very yeah. heavy EVP recordings when when I'm out there. And, you know, that was important to me to be able to record something at least. But, you know, we've we've had equipment failure all night and Dave just, he's the nicest guy in the world but it was like the house was affecting him and he had like this vibe coming off of him and the producers are like oh if anything happens tonight just call dave up to your room we'll give you walkie talkies and you know the whole nine yards and i'm having stuff happen up in my room and Um, I mean, the damn thing, I had my video camera going in the room, and they had their own cameras. The production company had their own Mm -hmm. cameras that were going hardwired and everything. And uh, the damn thing wiggle, I could hear the noise of it, something like rubbing back and forth. And I get up, I turn the light on, and what I find is that something was jiggling the cord for my camera back and forth behind the nightstand, rubbing the wire up against the nightstand until it was hanging out of the receptacle and, like, the camera shut down because it wasn't charging anymore. It's, like, that kind of night. And then I'm hearing noises Ooh, in the oh. front room and it's, like, I'm supposed to call Dave, who had, like, this homicidal vibe coming off of him. to come. Up. Yeah, There's, like, X's in this Might house, Might be another little story going on <laughs> What
1: was that? I said you no know, said no thinking might be another Lucy Borden going on going on in that house. Why do you think oh, that night that, well, it, that night was so strong, so strange? Why do you think that, that night was so powerful? Was it the people there, you think, or was it just the the time of year? What do you think was so, so, so well, special about that particular you know, time?
3: It could be a lot of things, but I also think that the entity knew that, like, we wanted to get it out of the house, like once we got there and um, one of the things was, I I don't want to say the entity's name because like some of the EVP that I recorded, he wants us to say his name, like right before we sit down for the seance, I turned on my recorder. And I put it on a table near the table where we were going to do the seance. And right before we sit down to it, it says, you all get down, which doesn't sound all that bad, like we're all about to sit down at the table. But when you take it and you reverse it, it's the same EVP says, can you speak my name? And I have recorded his name. He said his name, which... I knew it wasn't really his name, that it was some kind of, like, a. I didn't know if it was an anagram or um, if it stood for something else. And um, Dave actually got somebody who found out that basically what he was saying was um, the veil was one of the meanings. And, like, he's veiling himself. He's He calls himself many names. He has many names because... That's basically what he is, a, a face with many names, and but he's all the same face. And he does the things like pretend he's Andrew Borden and burn your face or attack you with a table or push you down the stairs or record his voice, things like that. You know, he's, he's performing for the people who are in the house looking for activity to happen. But he's not a nice guy. He's not a human spirit. And that's what has always made me wonder, like, why, you know, we did get to mention a little bit of some of the other things that have happened in the area, like um, Eliza Dowling Borden and how she had drowned her children in her cellar cistern, then went upstairs and sliced her own throat with her husband's straight razor. That was one thing that happened right next door to the Borden house. And then there's, you know, Sarah Maria Cornell, who was killed by her minister, who she was pregnant by. And he dragged her, like, right through that neighborhood where Lizzie Bordens is and hung her, strangled her and hung her and left her there. So it looked like a suicide, but it it wasn't. You know, once they started getting her ready for burial, they realized, like, oh, crap, somebody, like, Broke around and left their handprints all over, and tried to take the baby out of her womb, like wanted to get rid of it. So, you know, eventually the guy was tried and also acquitted for the crime, just like Lizzie was. So, you know, there's some history there, and probably an Indian burial ground because, like, you could throw a rock from Lizzie Borden's yard. And hit the spot where they found, like, a very strange Native American burial. And unfortunately, they never figured out, like, who the skeleton was because the building it was housed in actually burned down to the ground and took the skeleton with it. So there's no, you know, we can't go DNA test the skeleton today and know more about him or anything like that. But, I mean, you find one burial... There probably were more, but the city of Far River was basically built on top of it, and possibly Lizzie Borden's house. You know, you find one burial uh, block away from a house, There's, there's got to be more that were there at one time. They didn't just bury one Native American all by himself without others, so, you know, all of that was this entity present there? Was it something that was part of the land or, you know, when they built upon the burial ground, did they disturb something and it likes to kill? You know, did it help these people commit those murders? It's it's like, to me, it's almost like the chicken versus the egg. But, you know, I've always from even when I was a little child and I didn't know any of the actual case information from the Lizzie Borden case, I always had a feeling that Lizzie wasn't guilty, you know, and then mm-hmm. after, you know, years and years of research into the Lizzie Borden case, I still maintain that she's not the one who picked up the axe. She just did not have enough time to change her clothes wash and dry the blood out of her hair and be dry and dressed with all those laces and buttons and corsets and petaloons and petticoats. And there's no way she had like maybe 20 minutes between the time that they found, you know, that he died and people started coming into the house because of the murder of Andrew Borden.
1: I mean, that seems kind of like logical, like that, that, you know, what what you're saying. Why do you think people have such a, like, what's got to be her? Is it because, is it honestly because the song and like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's so, that's what people remember. I mean, she got acquitted, but, you know, people, she was shunned from the town. I mean, logically, supposed to be like, uh, no, this doesn't even make any sense.
3: That's the thing, the court acquitted her but the people of Fall River in this area never did. Like, they treated her as guilty from the time she walked out of the courthouse to the time that she died. You know, it was a joke to go throw pebbles at her window and bang on her door and run away and things like that. And, you yeah. know, Halloween, they'd attack her house and throw eggs and... Toilet paper, well, I don't know if they had toilet paper back then, but they, they, you know, pranked her all the time. And we grow up with that. Lizzie Borden got an axe, gave her mother 40 wax, and all of that. And it's I've said it before, it's almost like a culture in my area to hate Lizzie Borden and call her a murderer, you know, even though we never knew her and she was before her time, you know, Lizzie Borden got an axe. We all know it around here. It's a culture, the Lizzie Borden local culture to hate Lizzie or something. Because, I mean, worldwide, people still are interested in the case. It's, like, one of the oldest cold case murders ever in history. Do you think, um, You know, because really it's think- unsolved. They never found a killer and, you know, convicted anyone for those murders, so... Yeah, do you think,
1: um they're so popular because of the images that you can see, like you can see the pictures of, of Andrew Borden on the couch. And you can see her, her mother on the couch, on the floor. Um, do you think it's, it's so popular because of the song, I guess the, the rhyme and then you can actually see her, the pictures of, of what happened. In fact, it was a female too that supposedly did it. Why do you think it's well, held on so, there hard, were, so long?
3: There were some things that, um, like, the wounds on Abby's head, a lot of them came from above, like, someone much taller than her, which I've always kind of thought John Moss, the uncle, was staying in the house. Um, He just, his alibi, like, read about it. He knew every single trolley car that he went by and, the badge number on every police officer that walked by him and like on his route, when he was walking through town, did he seriously, like did he have someone go walk around and say, okay, trolley, this trolley, that police man this police man, that. So that later on he had an alibi because it was who goes and walks around a town and says every single trolley, every single badge number they saw while they're walking. You know, it just, yeah, I don't know, there's don't something like, about that part. His alibi just seems so detailed, you know, like he made sure mm-hmm. that every minute that he was gone and easily some he could have paid someone to walk the route that he was going to say he was walking and tell him that information. I saw a trolley car number 18, then I saw a police officer badge 54 walk by on, you know, this road and then I went that way and I saw a trolley car 22 and you know what I mean and then give him that information he just memorizes it and tells it back to the cops as his alibi he was out walking and went to such and such and you know at no point did he run back home but here's the thing too is that when Abby was murdered Andrew wasn't home yet And she was taken out in that upstairs bedroom. When Andrew came home, he never saw Abby or knew that, you know, she was laying upstairs dead, so she was dead for like an hour or so. And then he comes in, lays down to take a nap, and then somebody hacks him. And that was also something that a lot of like the homicide experts that study these kind of cases is that. Really, really rare, like double homicide for this, for somebody to bring themselves to the amount of rage that it would take to hit someone, you know, 13, 11 times in the head, then, you know, veg out for a while, just la 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 la, la wait for the other victim to come, and then get into the homicidal rage again. It's like, it's just almost unheard of to be able to do that. It's like... There had to be something personal, and it was probably the will. If you were, you know, Emma and Lizzie's uncle, would you be worried that your nieces would end up destitute if Andrew died first and Abby got everything? Would she throw the girls okay. out on the street? They didn't have a good relationship. You know, it, it seems likely to me, or possibly William Borden, the... uh Illegitimate son, and a lot of people don't know that he spent uh, about a year in in asylum and taught in the State Asylum. He walked into wow. a cold body of water in December, trying to commit suicide. Wow, did yeah. I didn't know
1: that. You
3: know, well, like I say, I've, I've. <laughs> read a lot on the case you know it's here and i yeah. you know once i investigated the place and got the evps and i'm a good daughter and you know you can hear her emotion in
1: that yeah it's it's so it's so like just hearing hearing you talk about it and i have a picture in my head lizzie she just lost her parents they were killed not like they like, like in the house so You know, she's dealing with that, and now all of a sudden, people think it's her, and she goes to court, and they quit her, but now the whole town hates her because the rumor has spread that it was her, and there's nothing no matter what she says. And I'm sure the kids, like little kids were making up the, you know, singing that song to her, like at, at her door. You know, busy <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah, she had to live with definitely. that for her, for her life. It's so depressing. It's
2: a double-edged sword. Like, yeah, she got acquitted, but they hated her anyway. So it kind of didn't matter. And like, if she was a to person, prison, it's not like it would have been much better. Because they still would have been like, oh, and mock, mock her and stuff for it, and be like, oh, you're a little kid. or if you could have done it? You know. So like, no matter what really happened to her, it was gonna be depressing and sad for her.
1: Yeah, it's so it's oh, so definitely. like you know, I don't know, I don't know what she was like as a person, but yeah, I know she wasn't a murderer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, but well, I'm, sounds like pretty sure she wasn't a murderer.
3: It's really funny because um, before the murders, Lizzie was a Sunday school teacher. She was like the first. And only woman in the whole entire world to be on a hospital board, a hospital board member in, you know, the 1890s. That was unheard of. She went out and read stories to sick children in the hospital and the elderly and did a lot for, you know, the poor people and of course, we know that she donated $30,000, which was, you know, quite a bit of money back then to help the Animal Rescue League in Far River get started. It, you know, she gave a lot of help to a lot of people around her. I mean, to me, that doesn't sound like a murderer. No, I was
1: going to say. Not exactly not exactly, sounding like a cold butter. Doesn't but really say to me. You know? I wonder if there's was was something on, like... Um, I think
3: it was called the flower committee at her church. And what that was, was whenever there was a special occasion, a holiday, a wedding, a, you know, big naps or whatever, she went in and decorated the whole church with flowers and stuff. Uh, so, Murderer okay, I don't know. To...
1: You know, I mean, but then you know. again,
3: isn't anyone who is possessed, by a negative entity capable of murder? Because it's not yes. them anymore. I mean, I, I was, They're possessed. I was ask you. you know, because that's also that. something that you know, I've wondered is, is there an entity there that in that area that possesses people and brings them to murder or if these people who are already capable of murder are just getting the flames fanned by this negative entity who likes to see murder happen. You know, um, there, but there, the entity
1: there, is was... Is there something was attached
3: was to the land? Vain. Yeah, well, yeah. I think a lot of things do connect back to the land in, in this area in particular. Um, you know, because we were part of the country who, that was first settled. You know, um, these are some of the first settlements in all of America and the first decimation of the first people, the American Indians, started here with the first war, the King Philip's War. And from there, you know, Native, Native Americans were executed, sold into slavery, taken off their lands, moved away, killed, given diseased blankets. You know, it all started here. Where, you know, we walk around and we are walking on the blood of that first battle. And per capita, it's like the worst war ever fought on American soil per capita. You know, so at the time when there was just a tiny population here, this was worse than all of the battles ever fought on American soil. And it was brutal and ugly and both sides kept retaliating on each other in horrible ways. And it, you know, it finally ended with most of the tribe being sold into slavery or
1: executed. Is that something you hear about much in history classes? Well, I wish
3: we would hear about it because they don't teach that in school. You know, I remember growing up, and we do the thing we draw the the Indians and the pilgrims and turkeys, and oh they had such a and they did, but you know the pilgrims would not have survived that first winter if the Native Americans hadn't shared their stores with them. They would have all died of starvation, and you know secondly, it was like you know you're drawing these pilgrims and Indians, and I'm asking myself. Where are these Indians? And, you know, I'm growing up in the area and I'm out in the woods and I'm feeling their spirits. I'm, I'm knowing that they're there. And it's like, well, where did they go? Whatever happened to them? And nobody ever says, well, you know, the settlers beat the crap out of them, took all their weapons away, sold them into slavery, drew and quartered them. You know, they called the Indian savages, but it was the settlers who drew and quartered the leaders and left their heads on frickin' spears at Fort Plymouth for 20 years. Can you imagine what a bunch of skulls looked like after hanging on top of a spear for 20 years? That is gross.
1: Uh, I guess the... uh... I guess they wrote the history books. They they get to skew it in their, in their favor, you know. That's like, oh, the well, thing, you know. So we we can't learn
3: out. from our mistakes if we don't know about them, if we don't doing things like that. And we are doing it out in this world, you know. People are still killing other people because they're a little bit different. They don't worship the same God. Their skin is a different color. Why haven't we learned from what happened right here, King Philip's War? Why were there even any more wars after that? We should have learned our lesson there, but we don't know the war even happened.
1: No. No, and plus you don't you don't get both sides of the story. You'll get the one side mm-hmm. where it says, you know, these these people were savages. Unless you know you do the research. But well, you know, that's a good people, point the because
3: there is a book oh i'm trying to think of her name um a woman was taken prisoner by the wampanoag indian and she wrote a book about it afterwards and she described wetamo who was a chief a woman chief of uh, uh uh what the heck would they call her a squaw sachem sachem squaw i i might be backwards but um you know so she held Incredible status within the tribe, and the way that the Indians, Native Americans, um, would show their status was through the way they dressed, their headdresses, their jewelry, how they wore their clothes, what beading was on their clothes. Even it, it kind of told its own story. Like when when she dressed and stepped out of her tent or longhouse, either way everyone knew who she was within the tribe by looking at her clothes and jewelry. They'd say, Oh, this is a thatchum, you know? And the Uh woman, the the settler who was kidnapped by, by these people um, watched Weedemow dressing and called it prideful. And it took her hours to put on her clothes and her jewelry. Like she was so vain in this, you know, that was so different for the settlers and that was I think where it all broke down was because the natives were different they did things differently and the settlers wanted their lands
1: there's a lot of negativity attached to the land starting even when the settlers got to uh, got there through the wars and just you know it it can see where
3: Around here, say that the Wampanoag tribe cursed these lands, that they said if we wanted the land so badly, we would roam it forever. And a lot of people in this area believe that. So whether the curse is real or not, the people who believe that it is, I kind of think of wandering around roaming the land.
1: I mean, it wouldn't surprise me.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah I've met an awful lot of ghosts around here, just wandering around in the
1: woods how um how cold was it when you went out to that to uh was it the brother's house? does it look cold when you guys were standing out in the woods oh, in the, in the, yeah uh... it was
3: February and of course it snowed so uh, yeah it was good weather.
1: i did I did one investigation it was at edgewood plantation. And and down here in Virginia, and it was like twenty five degrees outside. I was in I was in yep. the worst mill, and it was so cold. I was like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like, I just I don't care if a full body apparition comes up to me right now. I am so cold. I just I just want to get inside. I just like, oh my god. <laughs> How do you stay focused on like what you're doing when you're when it's so cold wow. outside?
3: Uh, well, you know, I've grown up around here and winters aren't as bad as they used to be, which is one good thing, but, uh, I dressed really, really warm. I had, like, polar pants and pants underneath my polar pants and sweatshirt oh, and a hat and my big warm fuzzy coat. Cause, yeah, I want to, you know, when I get out there, I want to record EVP. I want to be able to document what's going on. and You know, it's kind of sad because um, they didn't really get to play all of the EVP that I recorded. And there's one that just keeps sticking in my mind because a lot of cases that I've had, I find that there are human spirits there who are suffering or... You know, feeling bad, afraid to cross, tormented by their death, loss of their loved ones, whatever reason it is that keeps them here. And somehow it attracts entities and the entities seem to be just getting off on the human torment of those spirits. And I feel like that was kind of what was going on at Lizzie Borden's. And we go out there and for the show... And I record the CVP, and it goes, and I kind of think it was maybe possibly John Morse. We were close to where he lived, like, back in the day. And um, it says, pay attention, Luann. humans suffer. And it's, like, almost exactly my idea, like I say, of, like, these entities, like the one in Lizzie Borden, that, You know, there for the turmoil of those murders and the unresolved feelings and, you know, an uncaptured murderer that still his soul or her soul is probably still stuck in this plane because they committed murder and never paid for it, never saw justice. I mean, for me, if, if I was that person, I would be probably afraid to cross over, too, that there would be, you know, retribution I think that's what it's, holds well, a lot of the human spirits here. They're afraid of that retribution for the bad things that they've done in life.
1: What you were saying with Lizzie how she was trying, really trying to profess her innocence, say, I'm a good daughter, you know, and she probably was. And she gets thrown into this, into this mess where people are looking for someone to blame, and for some reason, I don't know if it's because of the town or something, the town had something against her or something, there was something as far as like. When people can't explain something, they will put the
2: blame on the closest thing they can find. Cause it's better than being like, I can't, I don't know what happened. They just yeah. would rather blame someone.
1: Yeah, it's just like, it's like.
3: Yeah, I think for a lot too, like, like so Lizzie was almost high society you know she had a rich father and things and i think that's the kind of person that you know the regular working joe and working mom or whatever loves to hate you know they had it easy they had money and oh they went and killed the parents to get that money you know it's it's almost like made in heaven for the yeah. the little guy to hate you know, because they don't have all the things that Lizzie had. And especially during that time, there was, in this area, um, you know, there were there were many wealthy people. There were, you know, ship captain owner and ship owners and merchants and things like that and bank owners like Andrew Borden. But, you know, the mills basically ran on the blood and sweat of the mill workers and the fishermen and the hard workers. So, you know, there was a lot of envy between like I don't want to say the common people, but you know, um between those upper society people and the poorer people.
1: Mhm. Uh-huh. Well it seems to me that she didn't really she didn't really act like she was all about the money because of, like, you know, once she, she was, like, she worked in the hospital, she read the kids. It seems like something she that... She gave
2: ah, yeah. money away.
1: Yeah, so it's not like she was, like, oh, I can't wait you to die, old man. I'm going to take your money. You know, yeah. it just doesn't add up. Unless there was a, something in the relationship between her and Andrew that nobody knows about. But, again, like you said, to, like, kill her mom and then wait an hour and, like, just you know, kind of wait around and Put your thumbs and like, and then get that. but I'm, I'm sure doing that with her axe to her, I do the the thing with my hand, like I think people can see me. <laughs> but with I mean, she must have been, that would have to worn her out. You know, she's I hate to say, but she's a girl that, and that axe axe was heavy. She has to be able to do that again with That's her dad like and
2: the overkill with like all of the hits and stuff. Yeah,
1: it's just like it's a lot of <laughs> back and forth motion, and then have to do it again with your dad. I
3: don't know. And to have mm-hmm. no blood on her, you know, yeah, I mean, those are, you know, and, and it's funny because you say that, like, you move your hand like an axe when you talk about it. I do that, too. I'm always hacking somebody in the air. But, um, you know, mm-hmm. think about that. You come up behind somebody, whack on top of the head, you pull the axe back. Now you're throwing blood over your head. That's why I say her hair had to have blood in it, even if she covered it. There had to have been yeah. some within her hair. It couldn't, and you know, all as of that
2: hair. That's oh so much blood. You know, like you're because you're probably hitting veins and cutting those open.
1: That's feeling blood. Like it's a whole. Thing. And you've got to be fucking sorry for fucking pissed <laughs> at the person to be like hacking at the person. That's
2: so much like,
1: like you know, repetitive
2: during the surgery. Yeah, you do this with your arm, but that's like throwing your whole body back and then forward yeah, multiple times.
1: That's got to be, if it it was her, that's got to be a lot of bent up frustration. There's going to be something going on in that house. There was like, oh, my God, she finally snapped. Like there was like some abuse or something going on. or That's the only thing I could think of that would make someone like just go nuts like that.
3: What made Eliza Dowling take her two children down into the cellar cistern and and drown them? That was
1: right next door to the bottom house, you know? So it's, it could what you went down the whole possession thing. It could, it could be something that that uh, that happened. I hate to go bring it to what you know the, the cabin. What I deal with at Richmond, but you know they they got the police report and the, the guy who murdered his sister said that he black he he spent a lot of time downstairs in the basement where the entity that we deal with is, and uh, he said the morning that he he uh he shot her he said he did like she did some coke coke and he went inside her room and he and she was getting dressed and ready to go to school he said he blacked out and he woke up she was dead she he, he <laughs> shot her two times in the chest and raped her Wow. And, um, and i don't i mean it's like he spent a lot of time in the basement. When we bring people to the cabin or the brick house and we go, he goes down there. We have people who go down there and they just, they're just out themselves. And, you know, they're only down there for for maybe an hour. if probably less because they they start feeling bad. They'll come upstairs. We'll take them upstairs. We'll bless them. And they'll start feeling better. As soon as they get out the house, they start feeling better. This guy, he was there for like a year or so. And, he spent, like, all his time down there in the basement. So this thing was, like, feeding on him. And, you know, it was that the reason why he did it? I don't know because he didn't say. But it did – it has effects on people. I know for sure that that does happen. He spent, did spend a lot of time in the basement. And I'm wondering if if maybe – even, but even if – it did possess her, or something. It just make the whole timeline doesn't make sense because of the, uh, the whole, like cleaning up, clean yourself up thing. It's, mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. You can't, you can't do that. Not, you know, it's not physically possible for you to clean yourself up and, and look presentable. No. You know, not in the amount of time I... I'm over here trying to solve the case right now.
2: <laughs>
3: fucking doing CSI shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> was a mind yeah. Well, me. you make yeah. me
3: think, though, so. um, like, during that seance, um, I really wasn't prepared for what ended up happening. Like, Dave started doing that automatic writing thing, and then um, Chris puts the paper and the pen in front of me, and he says, open up to it. And, like, the next thing I know, I feel... And and this is really weird because when I saw it, like, on TV, I was like, oh, my God. But, um, like, I feel Sam grab my hand. He's on my right side. He grabs my hand. he puts the pen in my hand. And then the paper's underneath me. And Chris tells me, open up to it. Don't be afraid. And I'm not someone who likes to open up to those kind of things because, Uh They're bad. I'm not going to let something in. But I did because Chris told me it would be okay. So, you know, and later I watch The Curse of Lizzie Borden on TV, and I don't see Sam grab my hand and put a pen in it. I see my own hand reach out and grab the pen, like, like as if I could see it. And I couldn't. My eyes were closed. So that, like, really freaked me out. But the thing is, is when the thing was inside of me, like, the whole time was a fight. They didn't even show the whole thing. But it was a fight because it's in me, and all it's saying is, die, 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 die. And, like, my hand's going out of control. I can't make it stop. Mm -hmm. You know, writing die, and things backwards. You know, it's funny. We both had written the same thing though no more lies both of us wrote i wrote mine backwards with my eyes closed and you know dave wrote his before i even had the pen in my hand but we both wrote that same phrase no more lies but during that time i could see you know like i was aware enough to be able to fight back and you know it took a little help i needed like some of my own guardian spirits and Sam and Dave and, you know, especially Chris and Sam were there to, like, help me. And I kind of, like, threw it out of my body into the street outside. That was where I wanted it to land. And then it left and it was gone. But it was when it was telling me, die, 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 like, over and over in my head, it was like any any human it, it wants every human to just die. So I can see like someone becoming possessed by something like that and it takes over and all you hear is die, die, Hopefully die, die, not, die. I mean, my hand was writing, prepared for it, you know, could you I know? take that pen and have stabbed Sam in the eye or something, you know, could it have yeah. done that? I don't know. I was fighting it the whole time. So, you know, who knows, did, something like that jump into John Morse so that it it wasn't Lizzie who had to clean up or, you know, disappear for a little while to go jump in the river and come back out minus the blood or, you know, and that thing was inside of them when it happened. Or the mom. We've got, you know, drowning her own children. It it was horrible. I, I never want anything like that to happen again, but. At the same time, you know, the we really feel like the children crossed, and some of the other spirits that were stuck in that house and around that landmass. um, I think they crossed over, and like I saw that when when they were crowing, Sam and Chris were crossing them over. It was like this beautiful light and all these little
1: lights. Okay. You got yeah. I'm sorry. I don't want to like, and I I, I love I love hearing this. but I, I don't want you to be cut off like mid sentence when the show ends, because sometimes the blog <laughs> talk is like, well, you're done. Now it's done. Know. So you're you're off.
0: Yeah. But I want to me. give
1: you a chance to just talk about like what where people can find you and like you know, how people can plug. yeah plug yourself. Yep. Well, they can find
3: me. Um, and the team whaling city Ghosts on facebook or org. um there's, there's my book on amazon uh gswear out bonds and nobles and schiffer.com
1: well luann you know it's always fun chatting with you and i mean it's like it's like I'm just wish we had the two-hour show again because I could just sit there. We even we even could talk about Wayne Lake City Ghosts, like what you guys have been up to doing with uh, the other paranormal investigators. We will have to have you back on so you can tell us what else you've been up to as far as like investigated investigations and stuff. How about that? Awesome. How does that sound? Sounds good.
3: Yeah, Lizzie takes Perfect. up a
1: lot of. There's just
3: so much to the case. Uh, I could talk for hours yeah, about well, the Lizzie case.
1: Well, we definitely appreciate you coming on the, the show and chatting with us tonight. And, uh, we will talk to you soon.
3: Thanks for having me. Oh,
1: great talking to right you off. guys again. All right. You too. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great night. All right. Good night. That was an awesome conversation. Mm-hmm. I was expecting it to, expecting it to cut, to cut right off. <laughs> me as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know who, having, who we have on the show next week. We may do Supernatural News. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe i to see if I can find a guest. But that was a lot of fun. Now I maybe really rethink that whole case, and I mm-hmm. actually feel bad for her. I'm like, I know nothing I, I can do about it, but still, mm-hmm. you know. It's, I get uh,
2: those. It it's like a double-edged sword. There was really nothing good that was ever going to come out of it.
1: Yeah, so you have your life turned upside down like that. It's just so.
2: It, it's literally like the, like, fall under an air quotes. <laughs> fallen hero kind of show, where like, she did all of these amazing things and then one, like, bad timing, bad place, just everything later.
1: Wrong place, wrong time. She's
2: done. Like her I entire mean, she had been out, like, with life,
1: reading over. stories to kids that day, and she had gone anywhere else, but been in that house, but it's like, I wonder where she was when that shit was going on. Yeah. You know? I don't know. All right. <laughs> I'm not going to solve the case tonight, so much as I'd love to. Oh, maybe tomorrow. Yeah, we'll we'll deal with it tomorrow. Hope everyone has a great night, and we'll talk to you soon. Be here next week. Same freaking awesome time, same freaking awesome channel. Good night.